Hello and welcome everybody to Sonic Talk episode 450, which feels like some kind of milestone. Um, I suppose it is. It's a prime, not a prime number, but it's got a ten, zero on the end, so it's, you know, some way that. Uh, this is the podcast that talks about music technology, music, social music, live engineering, recording, electronic music, synthesizers, all that kind of stuff. So please do stay tuned if that is the thing that you're interested in. In fact, uh, we encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel because this is where this is going. This is also streaming live to YouTube and also via sonicstate.com forward slash live at the same time. So please do um, stay tuned. It'll be about an hour and a half. We've got a competition coming up from our sponsors, uh, Isotope. So uh, that'll be about halfway through. So enjoy. Um, now, let me see. I'll switch my things on and we'll start to talk to our guests because we have panellists and available people here. So uh, let's start with uh, Mr. Mark Tinley. We haven't seen Mark Tinley for some time. How are you, Mark? Hello. Mark Tinley is now right. officially. I'm are you officially? And you, you started a shop, didn't you, not that long ago? So how's that all been going? I've started a shop in Glastonbury. Yeah, um, it's really interesting. In fact, I had this. Um, it's a a really good way of connecting with people, and it's a really weird thing for me because I've been. I'm not a connecting with people person, and then I've decided I ought to be. So I did it with Facebook for a while and got to connect with people with Facebook and Twitter and all those sorts of things. And then I thought, this is kind of a bit, you know, third person. I should should really, like, speak to people face-to-face. So it's a really nice way for me to connect with people because I'm the man that's running the shop. So if I don't like him, I can say, can you please leave, sir, or or (laughs) that. But uh, this young girl came in on Monday, and she picked up this. uh, I've got um, loads of local people that make instruments have turned up with instruments and i've got them on sale in the shops and she picked up this lute thing um that doesn't really have a description because it's a sort of a cross between a lute and a classical guitar so it's strung like a classical guitar and she started playing and i said to her i bet you know if uh, you could imagine yourself sitting in the middle of a field surrounded by buttercups playing that and i said if um if a young man dressed in a sort of a hessian thing like a knight came walking past you know what's what's the first line you'd sing and she just started singing and she had the most amazing voice and i was like wow okay how very glastonbury she said said, it was very glastonbury and then she said um so what do you think i've only been playing and singing for about a year and i was like whoa wait a minute Uh, can i have your number (laughs) so um, So some collaborations well well, hopefully i mean really uh, like mind-blowingly sort of beautiful voice like you know no auto tune required there and stuff so i'm sort of i'm hoping that she'll get back in touch and we'll do something in the studio Excellent. so there you go and glad to hear it so how, but, but how's, how's business then are you selling stuff is it kind of uh, paying its way are you having fun it's all a bit slow actually and that's because um i think people are a bit confused about where abbey muse actually is on the high street um so people come in what so uh, one of our listeners came wandering in today and he said oh i didn't realize any of this was here and then he said oh i didn't realize you were here i thought you were further up so i don't know what i'm gonna have to do some kind of campaign in yeah. the town get your lad out on the high street with a sandwich board that's that's the way um, to do it yeah exactly or send <laughs> my son up and down yeah, exactly. yeah. um and the, the main music shop, Glastonbury Music Shop, is closing down on July the 12th. So wow. all the people that go there to buy strings and violin bows and things that I know nothing about, like clarinet reeds and all that sort of stuff, um, they're all potential customers, I guess. Maybe you should um, buy as their long own, as they know I'm there. So. Buy their stock and then get a poster in the window. That's what I would suggest. 
Mm, yeah, I think I need to send. I need to send my son up and down. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Well, Mark, thank you, thank you very much for joining stuff, us. It's, uh, oh, what, uh, it's sorry. fun. Excellent. I'm yeah, glad to hear say, that. Great fun. It's really good fun. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Well, um, let's move on to uh, Mr. Richard Hilton, who's over there in uh, Stateside um, with the birds singing. In uh, is it New England or New York? Which would be? Is it on the cusp between? This is New England. Ah, there we go. Well. Pleased to have you aboard. Uh, Rich, of course, plays keyboards with Sheik oh, and good. is in the studio with Noel Rogers. Well, not at this very moment, unless, of course, you're multitasking, which indeed you may be, a man of your talents. How have you been? I've been very well, thank you. Very well. Good stuff. Beautiful, beautiful day. Bird, birds are singing to us all now, not just to me, and uh, it's great. Uh, I can hear Great that. weather. I can hear them. That sounds like it's actually really, really hot in here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be hot by the end of this. I should have put the aircon on, but uh, I, I wasn't ready for it. It's been so cool here in England. It's just impossible to, uh, you know, to predict. But now I know we're here. So anyway, uh, well, thanks for joining us, Rich. And also we have, uh, we're doubling up. In fact, doubled up. And Andy, I got your URL right. This is Andy Shillito and Dave Spears in Dave Spears' Synth Cave. Andy Shillito, of course. <coughs> Sound engineer, studio engineer, been on the road for, for years and, and got lots of great stories or not, depending on how, uh, what the legal situation is and what he can say and can't say. Uh, and he's got a website, so things are looking up, andyshillito.co.uk. How are you, Andy? You good? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, very good. Enjoying a bit of time off of the road and, uh, yeah, getting used to... Uh... Doing your own laundry. Getting used to, no, I do that. Getting used to only doing my own laundry and not everybody else's. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no, it's quite nice actually. It's been quite nice. Normally I get a bit jittery after a couple of weeks and, and I get a bit uncomfortable in civilian land. Um, but I've made a concerted effort to integrate this time and, and I'm really quite enjoying it. It's quite nice. People are all right, really, aren't they? Are there rehabilitation <laughs> programs for travelling sound engineers and touring musicians to reintegrate into society? I think that'd be a no, good idea. No, I think there's a gap in the market. So halfway that's, house. Uh, so that's my next business project, I think. The halfway house. What you could call House of Music. The House of Blues. No, that's already taken. I don't know. I'm sure that our chat room, uh, who would like to say welcome to, is that going to be the right button? It's been such a long time. Yes, there they are. Chat room, at least the chat room that on our live at sonicstate.com forward slash live agree. And uh, I can't see um, anybody in the YouTube chat room responding to that, even though I think it's a little bit ahead of what goes. Anyway, rambling on. Uh, nice to have you, Andy. And also, Mr. Dave Spears. Look, Andy, you probably can't see this on your video return, but I put a nice little fader uh, icon underneath, which is actually under Dave, but it matches his shirt perfectly. It's almost oh, as if yes, it was planned. It does, yeah. 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 Almost if, as if, if it was planned. How are you, Dave? Dave Spears, g4software.com, with no lower third, because I, I didn't know which side he'd be sat on. And Andy's got a website, and you've had yours for years. Good guess. Good guess. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm okay, thank you. Yes. How are the old ladies in the room there uh, bearing up under the newfound English heat? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, so I haven't been in here. There's been a lot of things going on which I won't go into but I haven't been in this room for a while and on when, when was the mad day we had here it was something like Saturday or f might have been Friday no I think it was Saturday wasn't it and I had come in to with a view to kind of you know getting back into work again and turn the computers on I think on the Friday night and then I'd gone and left the blinds up 
and when I came in on Saturday night after a full day of sun, the sun just stays there all day. The computers had actually turned themselves off and it was like a sauna and I was really, really worried. When I fired up the new Mac Pro, there was some kind of weird error message, has to shut down. So yeah, that was pretty scary. Uh, Too hot to handle. Yeah, Yeah, it was seriously, it was like a non-humid sauna. It was appalling. So yes, aircon, aircon. I keep talking about aircon. I've got the perfect space for it up there, but it has to happen. It was either aircon or a CS80. Or something of similar size, I'd imagine. Oh, that's the problem. Yeah, the CS and all of the other stuff, is, they've always won. In fact, I did a video on the JP8 not long ago. And, yeah, I thought uh, that was great. During that process, I didn't, because it was long, I didn't talk about, you know, things that I wish I could, wish they put on it. And one was a much bigger heat sink because the heat that thing kicks out. I mean, if you've got that and the 80 on in the same room, it's like being in the Caribbean. Ah, well, that sounds good. It's actually well, that's something to worry about. I mean, the heat sink on a JPR, I can imagine if you stumbled on stage or in the studio, you put your hand on it just as you to reach down underneath, you might end up with a kind of like heat sink shaped brand across your forearm or something. I mean, it could it could griddle steak, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's George Foreman grill. <laughs> yes. Well, um, thank you for joining us, guys. Uh, I guess we should uh, move on with some topics because that's the sort of thing that we do sometimes. Uh, now, uh, see if you can spot this. Uh, now, th- this this topic by its very nature is contentious because obviously I don't want to get busted, uh, but it's all about being busted. So, see if you can spot this. Okay, ready? That is a bit of. Right, that second sound was absolutely horrible, kind of, that sounded like about 8-bit 11K MP3 type thing. But basically, this was the news of, the big news, actually, um, while I was away, or just after I got back, I think that that the craft work had been in litigation with uh, another artist who'd sampled uh, this. A little bit of that and put it in this other remix. And they've been kind of after them for you know a number of years. And there's been through various court rulings. And the most recent ruling, which was at the, uh, I think, the German High Court, basically said that, um, tough luck, it's artistic license. Artistic freedom needs to be upheld to a degree. There was, a, there was, an, as- there was an aspect of that which basically they'd, 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 they said that the art- artist, artistic freedom has to be uh, allowed. And... Um, and that in itself is a major ruling. I mean, whether or not that actual particular sample was integral to that track, which I don't... Re- I mean, it, it feels to me like it was just a little bit of homage. It didn't seem like the whole track was based on it. Um, so that, that there's a complex kind of argument going on there. Uh, and and it, it, as with all legal cases, once precedent has been set, then you get kind of case history and people refer back to it. And it can actually have quite a big impact on what might happen in the future. Now, I don't know whether this made much news in uh, the States, Rich, uh, 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 but I mean, it's quite a, a can of worms, this kind of thing, because sampling was, you know, we were all we were all guilty of it or not, or victims of it at certain times because of when samples came along, loops were taken and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, do, I, I imagine your thoughts are probably fairly straightforward on this in terms of the artist's rights, because, I mean, <laughs> you know, why wouldn't they be? Indeed. Well, of course, there is absolutely no justification for saying, yeah, sure, they stole it, but so what? 
their artistic freedom matters more than the original owner and creator of this particular piece of material that we all agree that they used. It makes absolutely no sense to me whatsoever. The world is upside down at that moment. It does seem a little bit weird, I must admit, that, that they went... It's I mean, beyond a little bit weird, Nick. It's downright immoral. It's stupid. It's counterproductive. It's evil. <laughs> it's absolutely freaking ridiculous. Well, the, the, I'm trying to keep my language as no, simple No, I, I understand. I think the thing for me that made this kind of weird is I agree with all of that, but I would have, I because I hadn't heard the sample till recently, and, and and frankly, I struggled to identify it. In well, I don't, I it, don't know that. I didn't even listen to it. But I'm just here to say, if there's no yeah. dispute about the fact that they used it, and the best legal argument they could make is the the artistic rights of the person who has stolen this material supersede the ownership of the person who created it. It's just incredible to me. Yeah, I we don't, I don't have to hear it. If there's no dispute that it's been used, it doesn't matter if I hear it. I, I mean, uh, now, if you get into a whole other discussion yeah. about whether or not there exists such a thing as a jury, a jury of your peers in a case like this, because tendon, very rarely, I would think, is somebody who's actually uh, maximally qualified to be able to distinguish these things. Uh, are they seated in any jury that comes to these kinds of decisions about whether or not it was use, let alone fair use, about whether or not it was used or similar or plagiarized or whatever? So that part is always gray area, is the whole, you know, jury of your peers. Who's, how many people do you know that hear that? Very, very yeah. few. Well, very, very I, I, few like people said, understand harmonic progression, and very few people will understand. You have to show people, and then it becomes a whole convincing layer of doing it. And The whole thing is murky, but I'll tell you what's not murky <laughs> is this decision, at least as I read it. Do you think that, I mean, because certainly in classical world, the, the whole idea of taking themes and running with them and developing them is, has been ongoing for a number of times, you know, throughout the kind of romantic period and before, you know, that was seems to be an acceptable form of musical development. I mean, I, I'm playing devil's advocate here slightly. What, what's different, do you think, though? If you write a piece called Variations on a Theme by Saint-Saëns, right. you've written a piece called Variations on a Theme by Saint-Saëns. If you happen to integrate, you know... A little bit of the melody from Happy Days Are Here Again. Uh, there's, in other words, it's different from actually taking a created piece of audio and sticking it into yours and saying it's yours. It's different from that. Yeah. Okay. No, I think that's... It's a, like that's quoting somebody in a book. I can I could sit here and rattle off a quote or two from a book here and there, and it, I don't consider it, you know... A, a egregious uh, breach of fair use policy. I mean, because quotes are fun and musical melodies are fun. And if, if we all sat here and went, happy days are here yeah. again, we all know this. Song. You know, like it's, it's, it, you're not, it, it's like you're not infringing on the ownership of the thing at that point because it's. Uh, apart from but, our YouTube police would probably close it down and uh, have a call. In fact, we've got a review out at the moment with, uh, which has got uh, a drum loop in it. Somebody's uh, at the door. Okay. <laughs> No, which, has got, which has got a drum loop in it, um, which is uh, just naked, and a copyright claim was filed against it. And I went back to the guy who did the review and said, "Where's that from?" And he said, "Well, it's from a free sample pack from Ableton Live." So I wrote this and I said, "Well, I'm going to I'm going to counterclaim this because you know this is just a drum break that is free, available via a commercial producer as a free download uh, and copyright, you know, and also you know." With, with license to use plus it was a review so i'm going to wait and see how that goes but you know i don't know i don't know um mark you're a sample king or have been in the past 
I was your... once known as the sampling champion of the universe. Ah, well, there we are. So, uh, what? <laughs> I, I mean, it's. It, I totally get what Rich is. I totally get what Rich is saying, and I I agree with that. And I, but I think that there comes a point where. At what point does it become just like you know, like the Bowie snare or that hi hat from a bit of a break that you just wanted to grab because you like the sound of it? I mean, do, do, you know, where where do you think the line is blurred? Because to me, it sounded like there was a small piece in here, and I, I thought when I heard the case, well, I thought that it was going to be oh right, this is the hook, or it's going to be something else. But it, what, in this case, it no, wasn't. it's not the hook, is it? But uh, don't you think this? Uh, court ruling kind of undermines the importance of uh, the groove or beat because because they're sort of saying that it had no uh, influence on the overall song but it's more of a like a groove based beat based thing and they're sort of almost saying well then, then, then the beat is not as important as the melody or the shape of the song and I think that's kind of an interesting thing to think about um but you know, maybe this uh, this means I can finish the album that I've been making forever, which I think I could never put out. I couldn't even give it away free because I think I'd be infringing so many copyrights. But I love I love sampling big chunks of things and then writing songs over them, and creating a new thing from an old thing. So they're not trying to recreate craft work. That music has. The, the hip-hop track has a totally different feel, a totally different vibe. Well, it if they're getting into groove, it's emotionally the Mar- Mardi Gras beat, isn't it? From, uh, I don't remember what the name of the band is, but yeah. I, 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 yeah, I see what you're saying. So it's like... I don't know. I mean, if I... If I sample a big chunk of something and, and just rap over it, then I need to pay on my, uh, I need, I'm sorry, I need to pay royalties to the to the person whose track it is because I've taken something that belongs to something else, and hmm. even if I've used it in a new creation, if it's really obviously there, then um, and and the vibe of it, it's almost like that Pharrell Williams thing where they where he's he's been sued for the vibe of the thing. It's the it's the vibe of the thing, the the mood of it is perhaps an important thing. But yeah, that's it. I mean, that's even harder. Um, I don't know, uh, Andy or Dave. Any, either of you ever worked with the Verve? Because that was a classic case in in point, wasn't it? Where they unfinished sympathy, uh, not unfinished sympathy, uh, bittersweet, bittersweet. Oh, what was it called? Symphony. Symphony, which was an absolutely brilliant track. I mean, did use that kind yeah, of awesome. string riff, but um, the Stones took 100% publishing of that, and they are credited with the as the writers of it. I mean, that's perhaps another story. But in this case, I mean, it, it it's a it is. Is it dangerous? Have we kind of crossed another line? Do you think devaluing music, or I mean, is devalu or is more, put modern music more valuable than older music? So it's, it's a very curious. I don't really understand the thinking behind his, that judgment. To be honest, uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't really think it's about that. I think the, the two things that I've picked up on from from what other people have just said, um, and I heard this on Six Music the other day. Um, I had him talking about this when the ruling was made, and they're finished with the with the line of uh, if if this was to be if this was to be forbidden, it uh, some other rap artist had said, but that then restricts our creativity. As far as I'm concerned, and and the DJ I think was Mark Radcliffe is concerned, that sentence in itself is a contradiction in terms because if you're if you're using somebody else's finished recorded work you haven't done anything to construct it you haven't even 
you haven't even replayed it on anything, then you're A, you're not being creative, and B, you're not being restricted. You know, and, and as an analogy... <laughs> as an analogy... I so disagree if, if with you. Well, well, we well you're not. If, you, if you're sampling somebody else's piece of work, then it's, you know, the, as far, the, my, my opinion about this particular thing is it's probably not played back at the same, at the same speed. The point is there's a certain sound that people have a Pavlovian response, like an alarm clock response. You hear something and it, and it appeals, if you're familiar with it, it draws you in. And that's what they're stealing, in my opinion. And to say that uh, okay. it's okay, it's okay to steal that, and then it's okay to borrow that, and then run with it, is the equivalent of saying it's okay to go into somebody's somebody's driveway and steal their car as long as you don't take their house because I needed to go for a drive somewhere. No, sorry, it's not your car. Therefore, you can't get in and take it somewhere else. It's not your piece of work. If they'd have copied the rhythm, then fair enough. But they're taking, they're taking. So you know, who knows how long it took Kraftwerk to get that. Who knows how long that is? And let, let's let's suppose it's the uh, Blue Monday thing, which they apparently didn't create but stumbled upon. But as soon as any any human being, whether they're into music or not, hears that Blue Monday drum loop, they know what it is, and their state of mind is immediately they're immediately pulled from wherever they are into another state of mind. It grabs their attention, and that belongs to New Order, as far as I'm concerned. And unless you've got their opinion and you're paying them money for it, then you can't just take it and and, and use it without paying. That's well, my or, opinion. Or, or without permission, if, that, if that's, uh, if that's <laughs> good enough. Yeah. Uh, maybe. May, yeah, okay. May. I know, Dave, um, have you used any samples? <laughs> yeah, nothing that's been released. Uh, but again, <laughs> to evoke that kind of vibe, uh, because, like Andy says, there is that Pavla. Uh, this is a weird one for me. I am very pro-copyright. I think that artists' work deserves to be protected. Uh, in the same way, I think the programmer's work deserves to be protected. Uh, there was a key sentence here that resonated a little with me in that, uh, as the judge said, as long as the new work does not directly compete with the sampled work and does not harm the patent holders, and I assume he's talking about copyright holders. But if I extrapolate this, there's only ever one winner in these scenes. Yeah. And that's the lawyers. And we all talk about that there's no money in music. Uh, amazing. I was at a funeral the other day and uh, somebody who has... It's along very much a similar vein of, sort of the non-musical chap coming in here and saying, all these look all old. And I say, you know, yes, yes, yes. Some of them date back to the 60s. Oh, well, at least they'll do until you can afford some new ones. Well, when somebody <laughs> at the funeral asked me what I did for a living... I kind of mumbled something about music and he just looked at me deadpan. Somebody who's not involved in our industry and went, well, there's no money in that anymore. No, everyone knows that. And I thought at the time, it, this came out at exactly the same time as the average wage of a Spotify employee, which was $160,000. And I was like, there is money in music still. It's just that musicians yeah. aren't getting it. And the real exactly. beautiful irony in this is that when you posted these examples, you first of all linked to YouTube uh, for the Kraftwerk one, which that track wasn't uploaded by Kraftwerk, it was uploaded by somebody else yeah. who apparently yeah. doesn't have permission. There's no <laughs> advert on the front of it, so he's not monetizing it, and presumably Kraftwerk's publishers have a deal with YouTube, and we all know how YouTube love to pay artists royalties. 
And then the other one, which has presumably been taken down from YouTube, is on Daily Motion, which is the place to go when you can't find stuff on YouTube. So all the way down the line here, we've just got infringement, 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 and yet there's a panel of lawyers somewhere going, stick the meter on, let's leave this one running and see how much we get out of it. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I find painfully sad about the industry. At the it's a real, I suppose it's that sort of clash between uh, corporate governance and all of those sort of things and creative output. Is that there's Well, these guys... Uh, sorry, Nick, they but these somebody... guys lobby. They lobby. You know, Spotify and YouTube and all of the Google or Alphabet or whatever they want to go under the moniker of now, they lobby parliaments and they lobby uh, governments to slowly erode and erode and erode. And we're little. And the problem with musicians is, is that they're constantly in need of some kind of affirmation or gratification or acceptance. So they accept and they accept and they accept. And then there comes a point where they're going, actually, we've got not a lot left to accept or give away now. So, yes, I feel quite strongly about that. Well, and there's always another one, isn't there? There's always someone else that wants to work in the music industry. When my daughter said to me, oh, dad, I want to do music like you. I was like, well, if you want to be in the music <laughs> industry, you need to be a lawyer or an accountant. Go and train to be one of those. And it, it really, you, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, we just kind of doff our caps at the lawyers and then go, <laughs> hang on, I can't feed my kids, you know. Um, but I just want to go back to something that Andy said, um, decoupage. If I, if I decide that I'm going to create an artistic work which is made from cutting up bits of uh, something else, someone else's pictures, and I stick them all over, like, I don't know, a box or a... Um, I'm thinking yeah. about, a, is it Laura Ashley or something? You know, or, that, a that whole, uh, or a guitar. Or a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> I've got one in yeah, my shop. I um, see your point. I think that's fine as long as you're not selling thousands of them to hundreds of different people and not paying any of the original artists any money. That's fine. If you're making it for yourself and you're keeping it and you're sitting on it in your own house, great. But if you're selling tens of thousands of them, then no, I don't think it is all right. I think the original artist should be paid in, in that example also. Huh. Well, I, I think in, in many cases... Uh there are there. Are, I don't know what the current statute of limitations on copyright is, but it was seventy years, but it went up, didn't it? I can't. I, I'm afraid I'm not a legal. I think expert. it was fifty, and I, it went up to seventy. Ah, okay. And I totally agree that there is a conversation to be had about the the, the length of copyright, and that that's a whole other discussion. Uh, I'm but completely what's that? Open but, yeah, but that, that. that means that certain melodies fall out of copyright. If I go. Uh, is, is that out of copyright now that kind of bluesy thing and then adele does it and then is it back in copyright now because she's done it does she then take ownership of it or you know how does that work how do you how do you track which melodies are going in and out of copyright and as they go out if they're really cool maybe we can grab them and create something from them and then put them back in in our copyright i think i think lawyers might have a good idea how to do that but it'll take them a little while to figure out but there's a, there's a really good analogy between the synth sorry Who's going okay. next? Just... Dave can go next. No, 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 go, Mark. No. Oh, I'm just going to rant more because <laughs> I, I believe 
as a musician, my belief about my capacity to create music is that it has absolutely nothing to do with me at all. So the more open I am to not being egotistical about where that music comes from, the more likely I am to create something um, unique and new. But by unique and new, I mean that I've listened to music for 53 years. I've gained a library of little motifs that I hear in my head at night sometimes. Thank you, my brother, who sent me this thing the other day. And it's been stuck in my head for about a week and a half. But, um, you know, those things we've kind of, it's got nothing. I, I didn't write any of the music I wrote. It came from a sort of a, a, a a mix-up mash-up of everything that i've ever heard it wasn't really me that did it so it's not an egotistic process i don't own any of my music although your publisher might disagree but uh, uh, yeah they may but i i just sort of you know the whole sense of ownership and saying like i wrote this is a really odd thing in itself well it's the only way that we got at the moment for 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 monetizing you know for, for earning for a living for out of it i suppose yeah exactly <laughs> yes. i was an interesting one with that verve thing because I, I saw Keith Richards interviewed and he and somebody asked him about how he felt about it. And he said, it's a great tune. And they said, yeah, but what about the legal case? And he went, well, that's nothing to do with me. I have people that deal with that. And again, it just gets back to the lawyers. Nine times out of ten, if you were able to contact the copyright holder directly, there would be some kind of compromise that you would give away a certain amount of points and yeah. you'd be allowed to use the stuff. I think that is completely fair and reasonable. I find it hard to believe that didn't happen. I mean, they were signed, yeah, to, they were signed to EMI. Get, you know, I mean, they were a big band. They get run by the band. Yeah. They do. Or any remixes or any of those things, any uh, uh, cover versions and everything, all go by the band. They all hear it and go yes or no. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, but before we do, we'll uh, have a little word from our sponsors. This is the new Isotope vocal synth. And that is the former Isotope Fairy. Can you believe it? She's no longer with the company. She's she's flown on. I think she's now a Tooth Fairy, if I'm uh, correct. We've got a vocoder section. We've got uh, various different ways of processing the vocals. CompuVox gives it a kind of spoken thing. And also TalkBox, and there's also a Harmony Generator, which you can hear here. As with all of Isotope's products, you can download them. You go to isotope.com forward slash vocal synth, and you can get hold of it yourself. And in fact, uh, well, two weeks ago, because we didn't have a show last week, uh, we ran a competition, and we have a winner for the competition who posted something rather random, I must say. Uh, the winner of the competition for last week, we asked them to tweet uh, I forgot what it is now, because I haven't got a list. Oh yes, here we go. It's uh, Ultimate Vocoder and Vocal Synth to at Isotope and, and uh, at Sonic State on Twitter. Uh, it said, Wednesday was a bore without Sonic Talk, so imagined vocal synth mangling a ditty called Vomit on the Chair, which is really quite random. I, I, I hope it gave him some pleasure, or her. DF Dooley, step forward, please. Uh, you are the winner of this week's, or last week's, last show's competition. Uh, so, at DF Dooley, you are the winner. Uh, and we've got another competition for this week, and that is... Um, 
along the same lines uh, to win a copy of Isotope's Vocal Synth we want to tweet the hashtag Voice Manipulator one word and Vocal Synth to at Sonic State and at Isotope Inc that's the hashtag Voice Manipulator one word and the hashtag Vocal Synth to at Sonic State and Isotope Inc at Isotope Inc we thank them very much for their continued sponsorship of the show and we hope you uh, enjoy their products uh, if you're a winner uh, if you enter or do check the demo out so that's it thank you very much indeed to the show sponsors right um now, let's see where we can go next. Uh, it seems like, uh, ah, here we go. H- how about something light, like file renaming? Now, uh, this Softube posted this, uh, ju- and it, uh, it is quite light. It's not particularly technical, but it actually has kind of a serious aspect to what we do, because obviously, um, you know, we are generally known for, uh, on the computer, you can just go on and on and on and on these are sort of some suggestions about how you might uh, name your files d- underscore final underscore final two underscore final three true final true final 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 finished etc etc and i just wondered what people uh, felt about that because i mean obviously with file naming you know you can get into terrible messes and there are everybody has their own working flow working method i suggest it one of the things that i'm beginning to do now is uh year year month month day day underscore name underscore version because then if you do uh, order by um, uh, file name, it goes in order. Or if you, I, I quite often use date, uh, last date modified as a way to do it. So the file naming doesn't matter. But I mean, there are kind of, there are important aspects. I mean, it is a bit IT management, but I think actually, you know, if you're outputting a lot of stuff and you have lots of variations, maybe you've got different versions of mixes, TV mixes, all that kind of stuff, then it does get actually quite a big deal. And Rich, I'm going to come to you because you're. Uh, <laughs> No doubt in that situation quite regularly, and obviously I guess you're working in Pro Tools a lot, so there's there's combinations of actual project files and folders and assets and all that kind of thing. I mean, how do you tackle this? Do you, I'm, I'm guessing you probably have a fixed method, right? Absolutely. And it's only changed slightly since, uh, <laughs> since I showed it to Mark almost 15 years ago. Um, uh, when I showed it to him at the time, it was some represent the, the way it lays out is sub- some representation of the song's title, usually an acronym with the first letter of each word in the title, a version number. At that time, I used to include a date and then some explanation of what's been done in that version. Ah, okay. But I've, I've now I omit the date and it's just representation of the title version number explanation because the date gets saved with the file yeah it's redundant to put the date up there the computer is going to store the file with the date attached to it so you don't need it there but um it's very important to me that the song title come first the version number comes second and if possible some brief description you know guitar or you know vocal or whatever you know tuning melodyne whatever you want to call it but uh Hopefully, each version gives you some reminder of what you've done this time. And it also gives you a nice numerically ordered string of what you call versions without actually calling them versions. The things I never do include using the word new <laughs> in, a t- it, in, a saved, in a saved <laughs> file ever for any reason. Never. No, don't use it. Um, and what was the other one? There was something. What, would they, what did they have in the example? They, Final. they had in. Yes, final. Don't even bother. I, you know, I have I have sessions that we're still working on that were started in 1996. There's no such thing as final. The distance from almost done to done is an infinite space. So don't even assume you're close. Just 
just uh, just forget about naming files like that. Okay. Use well, version numbers. It's much and start with two digit version numbers because you're going to go past ten. That's very true. Yeah, or even three sometimes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if you're that kind of guy, you can go three. But I don't <laughs> think I've ever done over. Maybe I've ninety nine safe. When it gets to ninety nine, you say, "I'm sorry, we stuff. can't go any further. That's it, boss." anyway (laughs) there were my file naming tips right there that's a good one thank you very much andy um i'm guessing when you're doing front of house stuff are you in charge often of recording sessions uh through the desk you know kind of versions of songs and what have you i mean so i'm guessing you might have that sort of issue to deal with as well right uh, yeah, sometimes. Um, I recently did. Um, I took over from somebody to finish off Florence and the Machine, and they were recording every single uh, show. Uh, and they, in fact, do it by date. Um, the, the first prefix was the date. There were no uh, because it's just the date of the show. And the same thing happens with uh, desk files from shows. Um, date of the show followed by um, venue name or town name, usually venue name. But it's usually by date if in live stuff because we're always looking back at uh, when something you know where something came from or when it was recorded. If you, if you need to suddenly pluck out something uh, a live version of a gig in Vienna from a European tour, you would I guess first look for Vienna or you would look for that. You you would go to that tour. I mean we keep everything on separate hard drives, so you would go to the hard drive from that tour look up the date of the show on a calendar and then just look for that date. Um, as far as personal stuff, in, in terms of uh, um, production advancing and stuff like that, um, I would never use new, I would date stuff, but the, um, I'm, I'm pretty old school with that kind of thing. And even on the, on the small amount of stuff that I do on Pro Tools at home, um, I, I delete stuff. So I have things that are, the word that I use is latest, which is neither final nor finished. <laughs> um, and if I want to know what the last thing, you know, where I'm at, I'd, I'd look for something that says latest on it. Ah, okay. And, but as and, I say, I, I'm, I'm not one for, um, I, I'm actually freaked out in the same way that some people are freaked out by the infinity of the universe. I'm freaked out by the fact that not, what Richard said earlier, nothing's ever finished. I actually can't handle that. And, and that's probably why <laughs> I'm happier doing live work because it's, it's now. Done. Yes, it's now and it's done. And I really can't cope with, you know, um, maybe we'll come back to this in three weeks and just turn up the guitar in the middle eight. No, we won't. Uh, not not on my watch anyway. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I can see, I can see how that works. So, um, do, when the files are recorded as well, so you've got date, venue, base. You know, does it work that way as well? Do you get that granular, or are they all folded up and then within the kind of, if you see what I mean? Uh, what bass as in in bass guitar? Yes, bass as in instrument. Um, yeah, no, they'd all be in, they'd all be in the, um, they'd all be in one folder as instruments and they'll always be in the same, because you use the same template every time, everything's in the same place, so if I'm looking for stuff like that, I'm only ever looking for a recording of a show. Right. Or a mix thereof. 
Okay. Well, that sounds that's like Dave. I'm sure version control <laughs> with particularly oh, soft, software builds and patches must be uh, a, a whole heap of fun in terms of naming. I mean, that is uh, the conventions. You know, once you've got them, you have to kind of stick with them. Otherwise, you know, if you modify, oh, this is a better idea. Then when you go back five years later, it's like, what the hell was I doing? You know, you just don't know. Then you need a a naming convention lookup table. Yeah, we're very strict on that. Uh, and as a result, I kind of have a slightly schizophrenic life in that my work is very organized and as meticulous as possible and adheres to that there are different ways that we do things for different things. But uh, when I get let loose, it's untitled one, untitled two, untitled three, untitled right the way up. And sometimes it's a nightmare to find it, but I love I just have to kind of break out from that, and then all of it, and then at a certain points, maybe something will get serious, and then I'll go in and start tightening things. But yeah, for me, it's that complete antidote to my working life. I did see a brilliant meme the other day, which was like, "What if a musician or an artist was running a marathon and had the finish line, but it said nearly finished, and then a bit further, it was like." Not quite finished, but nearly there. And then a little bit further, it was like, so, you know, a 26-mile marathon turns into a 56-mile marathon because nearly there. And then right, I think right, we were joking about it earlier, saying right at the very end, it's just, oh, I can't be bothered. I've started something else. Now. Yeah, started new marathon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know what you're talking about because Logic, uh, there's a preference, or there used to be a preference in Logic as how the audio files are named. When I used to work with uh, Will and Goldfrapp, i just have these masses of folders full of untitled audio files. It would just be like, I don't know what the hell's going on here. Or they'd all be called Track 4, even though they weren't. you know. I mean, and it just goes on. And then when you can't rename them without actually messing up all of the other... Vo- oh, it's just it's such a horrible mess. I think that's probably been fixed now in the way that it records audio, but I don't know. Mark, you work in... No, it hasn't. You, oh, it hasn't. <laughs> no, it hasn't. <laughs> Are you the world's, the, world's uh, the most highly, uh, highly um, untitled owning f- hard drive... Uh, in terms of tracks and audio and things like audio files or samples or stuff like that, yeah, it's probably a mess, but I don't tend to look inside it too much. When I'm working in Ableton, sometimes I rename things. Um, but the way I do it is I've taken Rich's method and then I name the fold, the very top level folder with the name of the song. And then inside that, I'll break that up into two different sets of folders because I use Ableton and Logic and I um, and sometimes FL Studio. And I jump around between those different things, but I make sure that I've got all of the folders for that project inside the one which is the title of the song. And then I've got different things in there. So I might have a... Um, I'm just looking at it now. I've got like... Uh, logic files which just say guitar or new vocal or whatever but i don't put the version numbers but i just go by the date for the version but then i thought what you were just saying about the word new whether or not i actually do do anything with new so i did a find on my machine for the word new and it came up with camping in the new forest (laughs) bbc news pink new dolphins which was the name of one of my bands uh, Duran New Partnership, material for new book, and <clears throat> my new haircut. Right. But I'm pleased so, to say that I don't have any songs called new. So. 
or latest. I don't do that either. I just erase yeah. the ones I don't want. I, that's probably it's like, funny, isn't it? Though, but I mean, when you take this extreme, there's that point where you know if you're working on a track and then you have to hand it over to somebody else, either to mix or you know a remixer wants to get hold of the parts, and you've just got yeah. a load of folders full of untitled, and it's like, oh man, now I've got to you know go in and deal with all of that and that becomes or maybe you create a new new version which has everything named properly and you bounce it all i mean it's just i mean it's like mark i like i think uh, it's good though because it forces them to go and listen to everything that's there so that before they start making decisions about things because when you get things i find if i'm doing a remix and somebody sends me something and it's all neatly labeled bass and guitar and keyboards and stuff i think well you know what? I don't want to use their bass anyway, so I don't even listen to it. I just go, I don't need that track. Oh, uh, there was guitar? No, I don't need that. I'm going to yeah. play some new guitar of drums. No, wow. I'm not going to use any of their drums. So actually, I don't know what's there. I start off, I go, the lead vocals are probably important. The backing vocals are probably important. There could be some like cool motif that I've missed because I went, oh, I don't know if I need them, like Moog or whatever. I don't know. Um, so so perhaps by not naming things it forces the person remixing to listen to all your bits that's that's a very honorable um excuse shall we say <laughs> <laughs> fair enough uh, i think people the, the natives are getting restless we haven't talked about synths or uh, uh, anything because well there isn't a whole lot of synth news well, I, well of course actually the model d um I should put something in about that because uh, we did talk about it briefly when we had Geert Bevin on uh, the other day. So I'm going to play a quick video and I'm just curious as to what the panel might think about this because it's uh, this video here. Or is it not? Maybe it isn't. Ah, doesn't seem to be. Oh, there we go. This was obviously news uh, Moogfest uh, the other week. The announcement they're remaking the Model D, uh, Mini Moog Model D. Very swanky it looks too, nice and shiny. And this is the sort of promo video. They were making, I think they made 30 of them at the factory that they had there. From the pitch wheel. I won't play the whole thing, um, but it's quite big news. And I guess, you know, with one of the most iconic synthesizers and perhaps more, you know, obviously more affordable than a System 55 or any of those other things. I mean, this is kind of probably right in the pocket of where Mo a lot of Moog uh, um, fans will be thinking about it. I mean, uh, Dave, uh, I believe you must have a mini Moog. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course you have. If you didn't... I wouldn't be able to call myself a synthesist. Well, oh, that's it unfair. It's a thing of, it's a thing of beauty. <laughs> I haven't got one either. Does that well, mean I'm not? Can't come... No, exactly. I've got a sub thirty-seven here. Does that? Just, yeah, it kind of gets you in the club. <laughs> but, but it's no, no. It's um, it had to happen. It just had to happen. And from what I've heard, it sounds there is. I mean, in Bright Sparks. Will Gregory says that, you know, there is something very special about the sound of a mini Moog. And I love the quote he uses in that it jumps out of the speakers and growls at you. And it's so true. There are times here where, you know, it's been turned off for a while and I'll be working, say, on the eight voice. So I've got 16 oscillators or say like the Prophet 10. You've got 20 oscillators there that you can use in unison. And you can create all sorts of textures with and and. Some of the sounds I've created, I've called Chris up and gone, wow, that's amazing, isn't it? You know, like it's 16 or 20 oscillators and check this out. And he'll go, yeah, yeah, it sounds great. And then we'll turn the Minimo on and we'll just fire, we'll just use it with one. And we go, 
Ah, the mini mic has more power in terms of raw sound than the modulus. And a lot of it's to do with the errors that were um, designed into it. I love the way the instrument came about in the first place. You know, it wasn't something that Bob was really into right at the beginning. Uh, and he went away on a lecture circuit tour and uh, pre-CBs were expensive to manufacture and he left implicit instructions, you know, no manufacturing of PCBs while I'm away. And from what I understand, the team kind of went, unless we do something, you know, the modulus is so great, but it's so big and expensive. Unless we do something, we're all going to be out of a job. And when he came back and heard it, it was like, okay, I mean, obviously that was a Model A or B or something, but we have to do something with this. So it made total sense for me on a number of levels, some of which are legal because when the Mini Moog was uh, last around, it was owned by, I think it was Norlin was the company that went under and as a result that design and that became orphan when there was a guy in Wales wasn't there building them at one point uh, so now the only way that Moog Music Inc I believe can reclaim the design and I think they call it in America the trade dress and over here it's like passing off uh, is to manufacture it again a physical thing and it just made total sense the only criticism I would have is that it should be called the Model E uh, uh, yeah as opposed to the Model D, it needed to be one step on. It sounds amazing, and I absolutely love the idea of this other oscillator, uh, other LFO, LFO yeah. sorry, instead of having to give up, the, uh, you know, the, uh, VCO3 for your LFO. Uh, MIDI, CV, Off I think it's got S-Trigger on there. Yeah, I mean, all of the, uh, yeah, and it's $3,500, and I really want one. I have no room at all. But I have the Mini Moog here, and on top of that is the what's that? The Sub Thirty Seven. Oh, you uh, got a Sub Thirty Seven. Yeah, which is it's, a brilliant. It is a brilliant keyboard synth. controller. It's not. It's not the Mini Moog sound. It really isn't the Mini Moog sound. You know, it has the character of it, but it does not have that raw power that will so perfectly uh, encapsulated uh, in his statement. But yeah, for me, it's like. It needs it needs to be there. It needs to be there, and it's great shame because I believe wasn't it the first batch were only available to attendees yeah. of Moogfest. There, there are more coming. I mean, uh, as far as I understand, but we don't know. Any it makes total sense, and it made total sense for them to remake the you know the fifty five and the thirty five. To me, it just made absolute sense. I had a meeting with them a million years ago, as you well know, and I won't go into the contents of this meeting. But halfway through, I was just like, why don't you make the modular? And it just seemed to me to be completely logical. Everyone was asking for it, like everyone wants a Moog polysynth, a proper Moog polysynth. Yeah. So, yeah, it looks like, you know, they're, Moog have kind of turned a bit into what Korg were doing, you know, that they kind of captured the zeitgeist and they're on a roll. Yeah. Yeah, well, the, with the app, I mean, I think the Sub 37 is a fantastic synthesizer. I'm using it for playing live, and it. I bought. I recently bought the Dominion One, and uh, and I really, really like that. But it's nothing at all like the Sub 37, which is designed for performance so much more, uh, and so much, and it's so much more effective. With that it's very easy to use. You know, just the whole ergonomics of it. It's a very different thing, and it sounds great. Dominion One has got way more synthesis capabilities, but it's harder to operate. I would say. I know, Rich. Um, 
you know, it's a big deal. It, it really is a big deal. I mean, everybody kind of, it's the holy grail of synthesizers. There are a lot of people who are moaning about the fact that well, why nothing new, why nothing, but I mean, Moga kind of doing new stuff at the same time. So it doesn't seem like, right. it's not like they're just, that's all they do. So I think that would be a bit of an unfair criticism. It get- is, especially because as Dave points out, they added an LFO, which was something everybody always sort of wanted and that I believe Studio Electronics had added to their rack mount mini Moogs. So, um, they have paid attention to what's come about since then, but it's you don't build a mini Moog to be something else. You build a mini Moog to be a mini Moog, and um, people have been asking for this for decades. So I don't understand what's the hubbub. <laughs> if you don't want one, you don't buy it. If you do now, there it is. You know, you can have you can have an Oberheim two voice, a mini Moog. You could. I mean, it's amazing. You know, uh, uh, the uh, OB six. Uh, profit, you can have like you can have the good stuff now again. Yeah, it's cool or new stuff if that's what you so desire. I know, yeah. Mark, uh, Mark. Are you tempted? I mean, I, I'd like to have one just for the you know the the ownership vibe and being able to say I've got a mo. I mean, I've never as I've said repeatedly, it never appealed to me in the past because all of my other equipment was so sort of feeble that it just blew it all away. I probably didn't even have an EQ powerful enough to tame it so that it would fit in my mixes. You know, so. Um, I like the uh, I like the form factor. <coughs> I've got a, I've I'm going the other way. I want to return to like radiophonic workshop kind of vibe. So I've been buying nineteen um, sixties probably or early seventies tra- transistor radios from the car boot sale and gutting them. I want to make like steampunk synths that do like really horrible things. So I think I've, I, I'm obsessed with noise at the moment and making lots of noise. So it's probably too musical for me. Maybe yeah, I well, I can do that. I'm sure I can make noise with it as well. But I mean, that, um, that, that, no, that's interesting. I mean, that's what I don't know if you found that, Dave, but the sub 37, you know, it's one of those things you can make a patch on it and it can just go and you're like oh god what's happening you know that's one thing that is harder to do on the on the mini moog i mean i'm sure it's possible but the sub can just kind of go crazy and you're like literally going oh my god what's going on and you just turn it down i don't know why it's making that noise which is great for a front panel kind of keyboard synth it's an amazing controller actually as well for software stuff ah uh, right i suppose so kind of one of the reasons we got it because obviously everything transmits ccs and I like the fact it's got memories, but it's still not got, you know, it's the, it's the errors that made the mini something. And, you know, at the time, oh God, I could go on all day about it and Andy will be asleep by the side of me, (laughs) but it's the, it's the instrument that defined everything that came thereafter. It's really fascinating. I've been spending, it's funny what Mark's saying. I've been spending a ton of time with the AKS here and I've really, Oh, yeah, learn, love that. Learn to love that as an instrument. People, people really... do see. Uh, but that, now you mentioned that, Andy. I mean, you know, front of house people must occasionally show up with vintage synthesizers, and you must have a, a kind of uh, a, a benchmark of how they might sound on a big system and what you need to do to them to get them in. I mean, because uh, you know, you're in the luxurious position of being able to allow all of it through if you wish. And for, for the audience to experience the full force of said synth. I mean, have you had any uh, mini experiences that, that have really kind of shaken the foundations of the building? Yeah, I think last time I was, uh, last time I was on the webcast, we were talking about this with, um, I speak computer, is it? Oh, yeah, Tara. Tara, the Tara Bush thing. 
um, that we did at the Royal Festival Hall. And uh, you asked me a very similar question. Oh um, dear, am I that predictable? No, 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 not at all. But it, it's, it's, my answer is the same. It's, it's massively noticeable. The difference between a modern synthesizer and a software synthesizer and an old Moog, or, or you know, you'll have to, you, all you synthbots will have to, uh, have to forgive my uh, synth ignorance here. But what, what's the head to him? One I always mention. Oh, the MS Twenty. The MS Twenty. Um, I used to one of the first bands I ever worked with. Heads where we were essentially a rock band. Um, used an MS Twenty, and it sounded amazing. It just sounded amazing, and it said they sound better than anything else. As do Moog pedals and stuff. Um, they they survive in a mix without you having to force them anywhere or hold them down. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, it's always a pleasure. They're always a pleasure to have in a mix because they they're cut straight through and they're fatter than anything else. And I think I, I've not heard the Will Gregory quote, but that that's a very accurate quote. I mean, they do just they just leap out of the speakers like nothing else. They they, they take their own they take their own space in it. Um, and and you don't really have to do much, you know, to isolate them or, or to bring them out of a, a live mix. Do you find you have to make uh, the band around them sound bigger to compete? Well, I suppose that depends on how good an engineer you are, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> uh, I'll line them up. <laughs> well, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll shoot them down. Um, it's all about it's all about um, that. To me, would be all about how loud you have said since. Um, because it's not it's not about volume, and I think that's a mistake. Um, not to go off the synthesizer track here, but I think that's the mistake a lot of engineers make is they turn things up to make them more audible, and that's not really uh, that's not my way. You know, if something's big and fat, it doesn't need to be loud um, because it's big and fat, and it will it will survive quietly, or it will survive as will as will a good you know a good bass guitar. A well-made, good bass guitar that's got an even neck on it will survive a mix, whether it's quiet or whether it's loud, because it's there all the time. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, that does. I thank you very much, and uh, I, I think I suppose that's 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 the the magic thing, isn't it, that people want? But I mean, I suppose most people are not necessarily in the position to hear it in its completeness quite so much because, you know, m most most people who perhaps not don't have kind of full range monitor systems and don't have that can't can't access all of the stuff that it can spit out without really tuning their ears to be able to hear it. I mean, I suppose that's, that's the thing. Fast. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 they're a real pleasure from that point of view because they certainly work down lower than than most things do. Um, and conversely to that, I would the, the thing that I do notice is when that you when when you start playing um, tracks, you know, tracks that people have produced in between uh, live bands, you very quickly find you know some of them are just obscenely bottom endy because people can't hear the sort of things that we can hear that you're not working with that many sub speakers obviously um as you are when you're doing a stadium gig for 20,000 people there's so much available bottom end uh you start hearing things on tracks that that you know the producers didn't hear and and the, the final do you so do you find you have to actually what? eq different tracks depending on what all tracks? the time <laughs> no but i mean seriously all the time um uh, you know, intro tunes, uh, Abra Arrival, uh, which we use all the time with the darkness. Um, I have to take out 600 hertz out of that, and I have to take 3k out of it every time 
because um, when I flat EQ'd the system and I play that through it, it it's really quite painful at three quid, three k. And the voices that are probably to do with the room they recorded them in or the way they recorded them, um, the voices are very six hundred hertzy. So I have to pull that out of the mix because once you get that loud through a PA, and obviously the intro music for a darkness show is pretty loud. Um, you have to start tweaking it, and uh, that's that's when my job begins uh, with most bands. Is when the intro music comes on. I have to have my hands on EQ, ready ready to do something. Oh, that's it's funny that that's that whole production rehearsal becomes really vital. And it's yeah. interesting that we're talking about bottom end here now with analog synths. In the nineties, I did that Debbie Harry tour. And I used a JD eight hundred, which is notoriously high fi everything at the top. You know, I had that piano sound, bright piano. My God, how bright was that? But we'd done everything in a rehearsal room, EQ'd everything. And I don't know if you remember on Rapture, there's this bell sound that kind of mirrors what Debbie's singing. And um, we get it yeah. out. You know, in production rehearsals, it sounded okay in a small room like Pete Webber's or someone like that. And then you get it out into an auditorium and it just took your totally head off. different. It's like, yeah. whoa, whoa, whoa. And I'm in there, like, literally like, oh, well, okay, find that part, take it down. Yeah, I mean, it happens a lot with MDs. It happens a lot when if when I work with people and you do, you know, quite extensive rehearsals, sometimes in quite big places. And the MD will be down. Um, Paloma Faith was a, was a classic example. There were a lot of strings and stuff that, that were coming off track. And the MD would they'd be remixing stems and you know days and weeks of rehearsals where the poor keyboard player would have to go home every night and rejig a little mix of something. And you know I'm sitting there the whole time going, why don't we just wait until we're out on the road? Because this is just not, <laughs> you know, we're not going to be in the same room every night. We, we it's not going to be like this. Hmm. All right, Mark, you wanted to come in there. Let's. Uh, have, uh, if you could, Did I. Yeah. I was just going to say, I went to see Steve Vai last night, and and this was in the O2 Academy in Bristol, and the guitars sounded amazing, and the band sounded amazing, and I was standing at the back by the bar, and my trousers were like flapping from the kick drum and stuff, and I was, but the, he was um he was playing to video clips, and every time he threw a video clip up that had either dialogue in it or um, any speech or voice. It was like hideously sibilant, and it was just like, and um, I guess whoever put the, I'm in danger of criticising the sound man now, which I don't want to, because it sounded really good. But they, those, and when I do sound, my tendency is to think that if something's mixed, I can put it through the system flat. So perhaps that person had done the same kind of thing, right? Um, But it was pretty painful some of you know uh stuff on video dialogue on video it's just like wow there's something really honky kind of in the high end going on there well i'd imagine it's the same with uh backing tracks as well if there's any kind of pre-recorded stuff coming back as you were saying Andy. you know there's there's this aspect where you end up with kind of like wow i, I know rich you d- I mean, you were talking about um you play occasionally you're flying in some samples at some show i don't remember whether it, i don't know if it's every time or whatever that were things that you needed to trigger i mean did you fa- I, I may have mis-remembered mis, uh, that. Uh, no, no, no. There's one song that had a bunch of one-shot synth samples and one spoken word thing that had to be triggered, but there's no actual no, sure. rhythmic musical notes or even held note. There's no actual music. It's it's all it's just, triggered events. Right, okay. It's probably a slightly different uh, um, approach then. But, I mean, I'm, I imagine... I mean, I've done production rehearsal stuff before where it, where we've had to granularize and go back and back and take things out, and it's... That is quite a challenge. 
Well, and we work to with artists live who want to work with their tracks, uh, backing tracks, and we have to accommodate that at those times when we do that. Yeah. Um, I think the thing that's very, uh, that's, uh, yeah, anyway, we've str- we strayed into other territory, which is great because we've been able to hear from you, uh, Andy, as well, about more of your specialist area, which I think is fascinating. So um, I was going to throw in a few more things, but I don't know if there's going to be time here. I don't know if there's anybody who's particularly keen on, uh, on, on any of our last topics. I don't know if you, did you see that, uh, that the one thing that was, uh, that I did find uh, interesting was the, uh, did you see the, uh, it was a late, late comer, the, the uh, Maggie Rogers who was playing, I think I mm-hmm. might have a little bit of a yes. clip, uh, I might yeah. be able to play a bit of this, but great idea was where uh, they were in, um, I, I wonder if I can play a bit of this without, because I just have an awful feeling that they're just going to get completely busted on this. So uh, let me just see if I've got this. So I might fast forward it. This is uh, at NYU. um, Let me see. Quite serious. Where Farrell is a resident artist. And now it's obviously end of term and they're playing music that the students have created to Farrell. And he's giving them kind of production notes, which is a really nice, you know, brilliant idea. about yourself as an artist. And um, she plays the song. And then there's this really uncomfortable whole period where they're playing. It's good uh, so yeah, we've got it somewhere, and they're just so they're listening to it together, and this, uh, uh, and it's great what she did, and his reaction's great, and it's got millions and millions of views. But it got me thinking about this whole idea, how terrifying that bit is. So she's kind of like, keep your head down. This is my tune. She's obviously very strong artistically, and Pharrell thought it was great. But it's that that whole moment of when you're playing something to a client or to somebody that you. Maybe you didn't realise you were going to care so much about what they thought and then suddenly you feel really uncomfortable and self-conscious and then suddenly all of those things about the mix that you thought were okay, you suddenly think, oh, actually, I'm not so sure about this, I'm not so sure about that. Um, 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 I don't know, I, I'm guessing, Rich, this probably doesn't happen in your world quite so much because, you know, you've got a very long-standing working relationship. But, you know, that feeling, perhaps, Are I, you I don't know. Me? This, has been ha- this has been happening on a regular basis since I was five years old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite sure what we're getting at here, but I have been playing for other people's approval since I was extremely young on a variety of instruments in a variety of settings. And I could go through what college juries were like. I could go through what auditioning and not getting gigs is like. I could go through a whole lot of that. I mean, this is a musician's life. You do this every day of the week. I suppose, yeah. I, I, I mean, I guess it's... It's something for me that uh, I'd forgotten about, but it is part, you know, if I've been sent away to work on something and I come back and play it and there's somebody else in the room who wasn't there before, it's suddenly like, uh, okay. There is, that, there is that aspect to it. And I, by the way, I've been on both sides of it. I've been the person playing the thing for people and I've also been the person for whom things were being played. So I've, been, I've sat on both sides of this fence and it's, it's the actual core nature of our business that this should happen and uh beginning to this specific video her piece was wonderful and his reaction to it was wonderful and it was really a, a warm a heartwarming thing to see especially i think for people who don't often go through that but i can also talk about movies where the director didn't know what he wanted and every day it was a new dawn and we would you know yesterday's classical score was going to be replaced by tomorrow's jazz score which was going to be replaced by next week's blues score i mean and <laughs> We were doing every time the guy walked in. It was like, well, who knows what it's going to be today, you know? Well, that's and, true. It's uh, a different experience. You because after a while, I mean, I, I had this experience in New York when we were working on a mix for uh, somebody at Arista Records, and we were working with Expose, and we would do 
we would do work on the track and then every day we had to kind of stop what we're doing work on a mix and play it to them and then they tell us what they thought and they didn't really know what they wanted so in the end we just kind of we we didn't really take any notice of their input and i think in the end i met the guy in the lift and just sort of went i'm going out um there's the session go crazy do what you think it should sound like because i have no idea what you want but that was probably politically fairly uh um, stupid <laughs> well, of me some people some people need to be told what they want yeah they want to be told what they want. Yeah. Like they just they literally don't know. They want you to show them something that. that well, that's that's really interesting. It's almost the reversal because, in the way, in the same way that an artist showing something to a producer or in that sort of situation that we just watched, is uncomfortable and kind of like quite scary. Maybe it's the other way around for the person listening to it because they don't. I don't know. I, don't, I actually, I don't. Maybe I don't know anything, and I really need to be told what is good because I've been able to get away with it for years. But maybe I'll be found out today. You know, that's that creative security i don't know um andy and andy i'm guessing does that happen in your world so much i mean because obviously you might be working on a mix and then somebody walks out front i suppose and goes what or that's great or however uh interestingly enough it's i've, I've just been subjected to um this very thing <laughs> um and to boiling it down boiling it down to um the most uh, the most uh, applicable example of this i was uh, somebody was asking me about it today um i was recently doing something that somebody else had mixed for a long time and uh the management were constantly unsure shall we say um we're not really happy we just don't really know why um and it it's perception i i think what what was happening basically to, to boil it right down? There was one particular thing that they they managed to state quite clearly was that there was there were two bars in the middle eight of something where I had applied an unreasonable amount of bottom end to a Juno synth part, to which how very dare you? I, exactly. Um, but in fact, that was that was what I was told to do, and I practiced it with the previous engineer, and it was something that he'd done. And when we spoke to them about it, or rather when they came to us with it, they said to me, um, why did you do that? Why did you do that in the middle eight? And the other engineer who was sitting next to me said, because I told him to, and I've been doing it for a year, and you said you loved it. <laughs> And which is absolutely true, but because he wasn't there when it happened, they weren't used to me doing anything. So all of a sudden, I think what what was important about that example was all of a sudden they're paying attention to things they weren't paying attention to before. Ah. They were used to him, they were confident in him, so they never really, I guess, never they 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 were just happy that that he was there and doing it, and they never thought there would be anything wrong. But because somebody new was coming in, all of a sudden there were looking for things that might be wrong as opposed to looking for things that might be right right yeah, um, I see what and you're it saying. was actually exactly the same because we we ab'd it with with going back using the dating method on the mixes we went back and ab'd it <laughs> coming straight out of the desk no we did actually do that um and sent it to them and and they thought they, they accused us of sending them two of the same mix so it was actually <laughs> audio it was audio wise it's true Richard. <laughs> they did they, they said, no, you've made a mistake, this is the same mix. And we were like, no. So we filmed it on a phone, but that's another story. 
Um, we actually labelled the two channels to prove that it wasn't the same mix. But the point there is, what they heard was exactly the same. It was completely identical, but because the environment and their heads were in a different place, they heard something completely different. I guess that goes back to what I was saying about when you're listening to it back in the presence of somebody else and you're, you have a slightly different yeah, a different approach to it, I suppose. Um, yeah, I mean, my other, my other example of that, just quickly, would be that um, listening to a certain band's um, or a fragment of a certain band's new, new uh, project, I was asked over to listen to it and, and I said, fine, I'll come and do this um, on the proviso that you do not, A, sit me down in a studio in between a pair of speakers on a stool and play at me really loud and B, none of you are in the room when I hear it. What I would like is for you to give me it on a CD and I will go home and listen it into my living room where I'm not subjected to any psychological external influences <laughs> or thoughts. Right. And of course, what happened was they, they, they did what I asked them not to do. There's the stool. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, there's the stool, there's the speakers, and they all stood there like that, staring at me, waiting for a <laughs> And, you know, it, it's, that's, that's like, you know, with a, it's like performing some other kind of act in front of a load of cameras. It's just not the same. No, I it's, you know, <laughs> it, it's it, if you want to have a neutral reaction to something, then you, you should listen to it on your own. Um, and if you want to play somebody something, um, you should, I think, you should have the confidence. If you made a decision and you thought it was right and you think your work's good, then I don't think anybody else's presence should really swear you. Yeah, I suppose that's true. I mean, I'm guessing that particular situation where you've got one of the most successful kind of songwriter producers in the room might give you a little bit pause for thought and change the way that you listen to your own music, I suppose. Yeah, but, you know, ten, not really, yeah. I see Richard shaking his head. No, I, you know, why, why has he got any better opinion than anybody else? I mix a show, ten people walk past me on the way out and say that was the greatest thing they've ever heard, and ten people walk past me and say it sounded awful. And that is just human nature. I suppose so. I know, Mark, I, I, I'm guessing, you know, I, I remember when, because when you came to uh, perform at the Bristol gig, you know, yeah. your perception of the way that you, that it was all going together was very different because it was in the moment. And I remember you were terrified, like like the most, like the rest <laughs> of us, basically. <laughs> but you did a grand job. I was job. having an extreme adrenaline uh, rushes in the, in the kitchen and trying to like shake it out by jumping up and down. But yeah, I was, I was, uh, and then when you, uh, then when you sent me the the video afterwards and said, "What do you think of this? Is this okay to put out?" and I was just like, "Oh my god, that's got to be like one of the worst performances I've done of the of especially of ordinary world. It's appalling, but it's what I did on the night. And actually, having watched it a couple more times, maybe it's not so bad. But um, well, that, that's interesting I'm the that because worst you're worst self critic. I just but you're, so in, you're in the, the when you're performing it, you're in the moment when you're listening to the performance back it's a different a very different so i suppose that i don't know when i was performing it i was thinking i'm not actually doing this very well but um me too and I that's mean, not about always my stuff i mean <laughs> <laughs> but this girl's face as she's playing that to him that's like this is why i've never been like high in the charts because i i can feel what she's feeling as she's playing that to him and it's like the worst 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 feeling in the world it's so uncomfortable i remember in the 80s walking into record companies with cassettes 
and then putting the cassette in and they play like the first four the the a and r guy play the first four seconds and then they go hmm and then spin forward to the middle of the song play like 10 seconds of the middle and then like skip to the next song and like play a few bits and then they suddenly stop and they go have you got anything else and i'd be like uh no this is like you know i'm bearing my soul here i'm bringing you my my thing and and oh you kind of walk out with your tail between your legs and then um and remixes and stuff and people going oh that bass line's a bit pedestrian on that but like using terminology which i had didn't even know what it meant well and, yeah uh, no i i i can understand i mean i remember i had this sorry with the same demos i had an, a, a moment in the 80s where i walked into this record company and he said yeah 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 that's it yeah this is perfect yeah yeah we'd love to put you on our compilation all you have to do is give us 740 pounds <laughs> and give us the cassette and we'll master it for you and we'll put it on the compilation and th and this was just one of these complete cons you know <laughs> where they're just like their their business model is to take 740 pounds yeah. from 12 people and to press up a thousand vinyls and then chuck them in the skip somewhere well i'll take, <laughs> so, make some sort of point. that's interesting oh, though I, always, I mean with remixing i always remember it's like okay whichever order you play them you've got three people to please yourself the a and r person and the artist and if you get two yeah. out of three that's okay. Three out of three is even more awesome, but three out, you yeah. know, two out of three would be fine. You know, very often it would be two out of three, and you'd be the person who wasn't pleased, or you know, one of one of the other, or the A and R person, or the artist would have reservations, or whatever. I mean, it's but but that that's just sending it off and waiting for the phone call rather than you know actually being in the room. I think what got me with that one is there that they film the whole thing and there's sort of moving cameras and everything and it's just they're all looking at the floor not each other's eyes you know just kind of yeah and it, it, that that just really it, it it was the essence of the uncomfortableness of that kind oh, of moment really? for yeah. me that really absolutely i so, mean she looks so uncomfortable it's just yeah, she, like well, she looks she, she yeah towards the end she perks up but there's a point in that where she just looks like she She's wants not, to kind of disappearing he's, 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 he's not sure whether he's yeah hello dave you had a bit we should probably um finish up fairly soon but uh i'm guessing that must happen i mean you work with other bands and they presumably give you stuff to take away and you go back and go here's what i've done or whatever is that usually in the in their presence or is it uh, electronic delivery <laughs> i'd like it as electronic delivery no i don't <laughs> mind it in the presence I, 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 my argument is release a software since then come back to me and winch because yeah. I said before, me, Chris and I, I mean, I know it's not me and it's a group of people, but when it comes to hitting that button, I do, I, I'm borderline physically sick and it's nerves uh, and some people call it fear. It's not fear, it's excitement, it's all of those things and sometimes I wish that I could get beyond that after all these years and other times I'm really glad that, oh, I that it still happens. happens. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because otherwise, it becomes you become you know the more distant you become from it, the more blase you become about it. Unless you care. I did. A, yeah, yeah, and I think it's really important. And but honestly, and this kind of ties back in with the copyright thing. You know, anyone who's prepared to put themselves out there, create something, is a brave figure in my book. So uh, yeah, be brave. Yeah. I don't know if uh, you had anything to come back with, Rare the Rich, um, before we go, but uh, that's a... Be brave is good. That's a really excellent ending to this segment because you might... Sure, you're going to hear things differently when there's other people in the room, but that doesn't mean it's not good, and that doesn't mean you should let it look like it's not good. Yeah. 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 
that's true. And it's taken me 53 years to figure out that every single person you meet on the planet is going to have a different opinion. So stick to the thing that you do and do the thing that you do and don't change it for anyone. That's the most yeah. important. And, I, I think, and be brave with that. I think that's a good way to end. Um, just so you know, uh, if you want to check out Maggie Rogers' music, it's maggierogers.bandcamp.com. Uh, Rogers with a G, not a D. Uh, and I think the track was called Alaska, uh, but it's a great video anyway. That just seeing the process, and he's got some really good points. There's a full, there's a full uh, thirty minutes of the clinic, and he's uh, you know he's he's actually very constructive and, and, and very diplomatic as well. And it's it was quite an interesting uh, watch, I thought. Anyway, we should probably wrap it up there. I want to say thank you very much to everybody. Don't forget if you want to enter the competition to win uh, Isotopes Vocal Synth, uh, tweet the hashtag Voice Manipulator one word and the hashtag Vocal Synth to at Sonic state and at isotope inc that's the hashtag voice manipulator and the hashtag vocal synth to at sonic state and at isotope inc you will be entered for the competition next week just remains to say thank you very much to all my guests uh, mark tinley over there in uh, uh glastonbury thank you very much for joining us been a pleasure to have you yeah you're very welcome thank you and I'll have to come and visit your shop at some point, definitely. So uh, I'll plan a road yeah, trip. Thank you very much. Also, Mr. Rich Hilton, who's there in Connecticut, thank you also for joining us. Um, I guess you're off to the studio to wax a hottie, as I like to say. Uh, <laughs> a speeding helicopter waiting for you to, uh, to to leap in. It'll be here any moment. Any moment. I, I like thank to think. You. I like to think that you will actually... Um, uh, uh, what's that thing when you go down a rope into the studio kind of backyard and through the door? Rappel. Rappel. Rappel into the studio. That's rappel, not rappel, of course. Thank you very much, Rich. Pleasure having you. And, of course, uh, Andy Shillito and Dave Spears there in your darkened synth cave. Have you pulled the blinds down? Well, no, but the sun's obviously gone behind a cloud. So I've been playing with the gain on the uh, webcam settings panel. Anyway, yes. Thank you, Nick. It was good fun. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, Andy. Um, great to have you aboard. Always welcome whenever you've got a, a hole in your busy schedule. Before you go, um, you. Who you, have you got anything lined up? Who are you going out with next? Uh, I think I'm covering um, a band. I'm waiting for a call when I get back from this, actually. Uh, a band called Black Cherry Smoke, who are a kind of old school cross between... I'd say, if, if I was marketing them, I'd say they were a cross between uh, the Black Crows and Bad Company. Oh, okay. American band. Better old school, uh, two Les Pauls, Hammond organ. Oh, yeah. that sounds like fun. It does sound and like no fun. Drums. <laughs> no drums. No drums, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really no drums? No drums oh, they've got a cajon player. <laughs> Electric cajon. Yeah. <laughs> But thank you very much, Andy. Uh, as you can see, andyshillito.co.uk, that's uh, with two L's. Uh, uh, I should just say there's very little on that website at the moment, but the, um, under construction, I believe, is the uh, term. I think so, but it's better than last time when there was nothing. And there wasn't even a, there, it was, there wasn't even domain. Uh, you are now master of your own domain, which is the main thing. Indeed. And Small though it may be. <laughs> and of course, uh, Dave Spears there as well. Thank you for joining us from the Synth Cave. G4 Software, do check out their stuff. I think you had... Uh, did you have some more tapes out recently, or was it some more patches? I can't remember now. It's my, I'm, I'm not back into the flow. No, me neither, I have to say. I have, I've, I've had a bit of kind of out time where Chris has been banning it. Thank you, Chris, a million times over. Uh, and I've been doing things like spending the odd moment updating. We've got a synth archive section of the web, on the website, so I've kind of been updating that and adding to that. And I think... We're starting to make that live today. So Ah, well, there you go. G4software.com. Do check it out. 
Right. Can I recommend something before you close? Okay. So in the evening, the wife and I like to settle down and watch crap TV. Okay. And we settled down to watch crap TV the other night, and the theme tune for this thing came on, and I was like, whoa, what's this? This is really awesome. My recommendation for the week, I bought, and, and you know I never buy music, just never. What I just don't like anything enough to buy it, because I'm a miserable old git, maybe. But um, <laughs> I went and bought this guy's album. This, this chap is called Rag and Bone Man. And he's got an uh, an EP called Wolves, and it is just awesome. He's like, he's like a young chap from Brighton, but he's like a, a kind of a, like a, a really big blues voice. But there's lots of interesting electronic stuff going on underneath, mixed in with that sound. So yeah. it's kind of like if you took hip hop and mixed it with blues, this is kind of it's in that vibe. He's like, I'm going to say he's a male. Um, Oh, I can't think of the woman's name. It doesn't matter what that. Uh, I, I'll just stick uh, with the who's male. Who's that woman who died? The woman who died who Janice had the lovely Joplin? blues voice. No, no, they more recently. Oh gosh, Ella the, James. That, there, no. been so, there have been so Modern many. Modern one. Don't know. Sorry, well, they've all died. So, but anyway, Rag and Bone Man. Go and check out Wolves by Rag and Bone Man. It's all awesome. Awesome. Thank you very much. Okay, that's it for this week. Just had an email in from uh, a contact of Peter Vogel. Looks like I might be doing an interview with Peter Vogel about the history of the Fairlight. That's that. That oh, would be brilliant. a very interesting piece. Anyway, stay tuned. Uh, if you're wondering what's been going on in Sonic State, do check out the channel. Uh, subscribe. We just posted a Meet the Makers interview with uh, Mark Verbus, who is a very interesting fellow. Got a couple more to come on that series. That's it for this time. Thank you very much for watching. See you next time.